Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold the property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Well, welcome everybody. Easy. I don't know if you understand how wild it is to see people in the building when the last like a hundred years we've just been preaching at an iPhone. So good. Yeah, if you're watching um, live streaming, which is what we've normally been doing, we have a few humans like in the building doing worship with us. And if you heard last week, like we're going to try to do more of these. And so all to October, we're doing some test services to make sure that we're ready for like live services consistently. And then in November 1, we will be opening up registration to do like normal Sundays to Sunday worship gatherings. There's a few things we have to figure out though. Like how many people can fit in our building when you're doing social distancing? Like all of this is new stuff, so that's what we're doing. Um, would you pray with me one more time and then we will jump in. Jesus, thank you that you're with us. As we've declared a lot today already, that you are present to us in this space. You're present to us as we leave here, and you're present to us in our neighborhoods, and you're present in our workplaces and with our families. And sometimes it doesn't feel like you're present in those places, but you promise to be there. And in fact, you promise to be there through us. And so today, would we be attentive to your presence so that we might leave here a people who practice presence and who through and in you are present to the world around us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in a series entitled The Missio Dei. That's our name, of course, but it's also Latin for the mission of God. And it is a, a concept, you could say, like a theological idea about what God is doing in the world around us. We believe that God is on mission, that he's accomplishing something in this world, that he's doing something and there's something happening and fermenting and, and progressing in the world around us that God is up to. And so we've been kind of exploring, like, well, what is the mission of God? What is the missio Dei? What is God up to? What is God accomplishing? And the hope is that as we ask that question and as we wrestle through that idea, well, what will begin to emerge is a unique identity for us as the people of God in Salt Lake City. Like as we ask the question, what is God up to in this city, then it might begin to emerge some answers about, oh, this is what it looks like to be us, Missio Dei, the church in this city who's trying to join the thing that God is doing all around us. And so we've been walking through this and we'll be in it for another five weeks following this moment. But so far, what we've done is cover some of those like big ideas around the mission of God. So week one, we talked about what is the mission of God. We said that we believe that God is on a mission to renew all things. 
That God's ultimate purpose, God's ultimate plan is to bring about renewal to all things, to make new this world that so desperately needs to be made new. Then last week, we asked the question, okay, what does that mean for us, like the people of God who have been invited into this process with us? What kind of people do we need to be? Who do we need to be? Does that mean that we need to be experts in something or have some kind of criteria? What does it mean about us, the people of God? And it means this, that we believe God has invited us to participate in the work that he is doing, but not through amazing feats or deep qualifications or hierarchies or expertise, but God is actually up to something extraordinary through very ordinary means. That God is unfolding this renewal in the most ordinary of ways and opening up things that are extraordinary in everyday human affairs. So that change is how we see ourselves and what it looks like to participate. Now today, the question we're asking is this. Just covered those things, what God is up to, sort of what our role looks like in that. But today we're asking the question, okay, so if that's true, then how does God do that? Like, how does God work in the world? We get it. It's ordinary, yet extraordinary. We get that he's bringing about renewal, but what does it actually mean that God is at work in the world, and how does God do that work? And I think that's actually a very hard question to answer. At least it's a hard question for me to answer because I think we bring to that question a lot of assumptions about how things in the world are supposed to work and about how great missions are accomplished and about how we do tasks and about how we participate in good work. We bring these assumptions that then kind of cloud how we see what God is doing or shape how we see what God is doing. And there's two assumptions that I think we look to most often. Number one is this. I think we often believe that God works in carefully designated areas. Like we have this notion that like if God's going to do something in the world around us, it's going to be in a very specific and designated, holy kind of space. So what is the primary space that God might be working? Oh, here. It's this one. That God works uniquely in this way in ways that he doesn't work in other spaces. Or maybe it's not a designated area, but it's like a designated kind of criteria that most likely you get to establish. And that's where God is working. In these places, in this way, God works most in designated areas. Now what that often means is that God does not work in special ways in other places like in our jobs and our families or our workplaces or our neighborhoods, that God is uniquely at work in this space. It's like institutional space that's designated a God space, but God is not at work in the same kind of way in my family or in my neighborhood or in my job. And so then if that's the place that I'm trying to figure it out, it's somehow lesser or less important. If I really want to do God things, then I need to go back to the church. I really need to go back to the nonprofit or I need to go back to the Bible study. That's where God's doing God things. I think it's an assumption that we often bring to the story. The second assumption that I think we bring is this one, that God works more with more money and more people. I, this is not a joke. I went to a, a church conference like a 10 years ago, and the whole premise of the conference, they would not say this, that's rude, but the whole premise that I took away from the conference was like, how do you get more, what was it, budgets and butts? 
more budgets, more butts. That was the whole thing. It's like, that's how God moves. That's how you know that God is moving is through higher budgets and more butts. That's a weird phrase. Right? We believe, though, I think maybe it's because we're American, maybe it's because our education runs us through this kind of system, but we often believe that God works more through more. I don't think we'd off, we would articulate it so cleanly like that, but we often believe that if we just had more people joining the cause, then God would do something more. If we just had more money that had been raised, we could accomplish something greater. And I think it kind of changes the way that we think about this God thing in the world around us, that it focuses us on getting more, raising more money or finding more people to join in on the cause. And in the same way that the first assumption does, it can also mean that we write off what it is that we are already doing. Like, yes, maybe God is doing something in the the relationship that I'm curating with my neighbor, but not in the same way as this, like, fundraising, people-gathering initiative I'm doing on this side. Like, this is the designated area, and this is the more, and so God is more at work in that space than God is at work in my neighbor. And here's the thing. I think God does amazing things in these spaces, in these designated areas, with money and people, not writing it off. But what those assumptions do is they shape our imagination for what God is up to in our own lives. And I think we actually miss what God is saying in his story and what God is unfolding in the people of Jesus here and now. So how does God work? Well, very simply, here's what we'll say. God works through God's presence in his people. Theologian David Fitch says it this way, God's grand plan, the Missio Dei, is to become present to the world in and through a people and then invite the world to join with. We see this all throughout the story of the Bible. God calls Israel into relationship with himself. And what does he do? He gives them the tabernacle, which is the tent of God's dwelling. And then they go from the tabernacle to the temple, which is the place that God dwells. And Israel is unique, not because they have an amazing resume. In fact, God says, I called you because you were weak and insignificant, but you're going to be the mediators of my presence to the world. That through me being with you, people will come to know me. If you jump all the way to the New Testament, into the story of Jesus, Jesus, God's presence in human form. God with his people, he will be called Emmanuel. If we go to Acts 2, which is where we began this series, to the moment of Pentecost, God's presence is poured out in the Spirit and fills the church. God's presence with God's people. Then if you jump to the very end of the story, Revelations 21, how does the whole thing end? Oh, the restoration of God's presence is what brings total renewal to the world around us. So how does God bring about renewal to the world? Through the restoration of God's presence to God's people. God is present to a people who are then present to the world. And we should pause there. Because if you are like me, um, you might struggle with what that means. What does it mean that God is present to a people? And I think for me, the reason I struggle with that a little bit is that it feels so ethereal. 
Like, it feels so spiritual and ephemeral and ethereal, and that's, like, really beautiful and kind of amazing. But at the same time, it's like, what do I, how do I get my hands on what it is that that means to be present and to have God's presence? And it is true that there is something so mysterious and spiritual and other about this presence that God gives to his people. And yet, at the very same time, presence is what we see in Jesus. Incarnation. Though mysterious, it is always embodied. And though big and other, it is always personal and totally accessible. Because the presence of God always exists in people. And Just like we see that is true in Jesus, when in Acts 2, God fills the church with the Spirit, the same becomes true of us. God's presence is with us and in us. And yet, that is mysterious and holy and other and hard to wrap your mind around and yet totally ordinary. Right? It's mysterious in that God's presence is doing something transformative and empowering and filling in our own lives, and yet it is totally ordinary in that we experience the presence of God through one another. The Bible uses different language to describe this exact reality. Paul will call us in 1 Corinthians 12 the body of Christ. You are the incarnated body of Christ, the presence of God with flesh, made visible, made human, touchable. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul will say that we are a holy temple. Right? The dwelling place of God's presence where people get to experience the presence of God. Paul will say the same thing in Ephesians 2, that you're being built into a temple. 1 Peter 2 will describe us as the nation of priests. What do priests do? Oh, they mediate the presence of God. And maybe my favorite but most simple example comes in Matthew 18, 20, when Jesus tells his disciples, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. When the people of God gather, God is present. Yes, in a mysterious way. Yes, in an other way. Yes, in an ethereal way. But also in a very ordinary and yet profound way. God is present in and through each other. God is in and through us and present to one another in that way. Now that leads to another important question, which is, kind of all this year we've also been talking about how God is present everywhere. Right, and the good news of the story is that God is ahead of us and before us, and that God is present in these mysterious places and these unexpected places. And so how do you hold the tension of, okay, God is present everywhere, and yet God is promising to be present to the world and the church? How is God everywhere and present in the church? Well, Jesus kind of names this in Matthew 28. The beginning of Matthew 28, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's saying, Jesus is saying, all things, all things in this world have been given to me. I have authority over all of it. I am everywhere. I am present. I am king. I am Lord of the world. That's true. You could say that's the missio day, the mission of God. His presence is extended to all places. But then he ends that same passage by saying this in verse 20, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. 
So I'm in all places and I'm over the whole world and I have authority and I'm king and I'm over and yet I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is present everywhere, over all the earth, but is especially tangible and present in the church. God is tangible in all places, present in all places, but uniquely present in the people of God. One theologian says it this way, God doesn't only rule generally over the whole world through Christ, but this work of God becomes concrete as the Spirit extends Christ's presence visibly through the church into the world. This is what this means, that God is present in all the world, calling us to join him on mission. And at the same time, God is uniquely present to us through the Spirit. And our role as the church is to then practice presence and open up spaces of God's presence where we and the world get to experience him. God is present in all places, but uniquely, tangibly present in the people of God, the church. So that means that our role in this world is to practice presence. To practice presence and open up spaces where the world and one another get to experience God together. How does God change the world or bring about renewal? God is present to a people who are present to the world. And all throughout the Bible, God gives to us these practices. Other traditions might call them spiritual disciplines, or other traditions might call them liturgies. Different words kind of getting at the same idea. I like practices, just it's easier for me. They are ways in which we open up spaces of God's presence, or you could say tend to God's presence. Matthew 18 that we just read from is an example. Jesus says, when you gather in my name, I am present. Gathering is a practice that God gave us to open up spaces of presence. You can think about it like this. If you have a friend and you like want to be present to that friend, you can do it in different ways. Right? You can kind of like curate spaces of presence with a friend in different degrees. So if I want to listen to a friend, maybe I will call that person on a phone. That's a practice of being present. Sure. I can ask questions, I can listen, I can attune in a way. But if I have a meal with that friend, if I invite them over to my home or they invite me over to their home and we listen to one another and see one another and are like physically together, it is more likely to open up a bigger, more tangible space of presence. But it's the same thing that God does with these practices throughout Scripture. They are ways in which we open up spaces of presence like we would with a friend. These practices help us tend or curate in open spaces. They are not magic. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been to a bad meal. I have. They don't always work. I've also been to bad church services. It doesn't always work. But they give us the tools for opening up spaces of God's presence to tend to the presence of God for others. And over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do 
is we're going to work through a series of practices as a church. What are the things that we're called to do, and what are we invited into? And we're going to work through five. So we won't explore them today, otherwise we'd be here until November. But there are five simple practices that we're going to explore. Gather, welcome, explore, create, and invite. They're not exhaustive. They're not meant to be like, here's the end-all, be-all of what it looks like to be the people of God. Instead, they're calling us into a framework that opens us up to say, oh, this is what it looks like in the day-to-day to be the people of God. And the truth is, the amazing thing about all of this is that most of these practices are happening in your life or in people's lives already. Right? We don't often see it that way. We often kind of write off, I think, because of the assumptions that we hold about how God works. We don't often see that God is already moving and curating and at work in our lives, and we are participating because we've written off that with these other assumptions. We don't recognize that God is at work in those spaces. I think this would actually be true in the text that Julie read for us at the beginning of the service from Acts 2. Like, if you were just looking at that moment, I don't think that anybody would be like, oh, here's this formal God-working moment. If you look at Acts 2, verse 42, it says this. It says, The disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Like you see these practices actually at work in the church then. They are breaking bread. They're hearing the, the apostles' teachings. They're going to the temple. They're praying together. And yet there is something that is so not formal about what's at work in this early church. It's not compartmentalized to like, this is a designated space where God is working, or this is a designated space where God is not working. There are just these ways of which they curate and open up spaces of God's presence that bleed into all of life. You could say these practices and God's work is like on the move in this moment. But sure, there's spaces that feel formal, but then it bleeds into the rest of the work and life of the early church. In fact, a lot of the things that we do as a church that feel formal, once upon a time were just practices that constituted the life of the early church. Communion, which is, I think, a beautiful moment as we gather around this table, it began as just a meal. People gathering in a home around a table to break bread and to practice the way of Jesus. And it wasn't formalized until the fourth century when all of a sudden a million people are followers of Jesus, and people are like, oh, how do you do this with this many humans? It's not bad. That's a good question to ask. But all of a sudden, the way in which these practices are just like normal, everyday rhythms get kind of separated from everyday life and made institutional so they could be administered to large groups of people. And I think with that, one of the things that happens is that the place where these practices are administered becomes more holy than our dining room tables or our workplaces. They become the designated areas in which God is supposedly more at work. But if God is present everywhere, and if God has called the church to practice presence everywhere, 
then all places get to be holy when we curate spaces of God's presence. When we engage the practices that God has given us and open up spaces of God's presence so that we and others might experience God, all places become holy in that sense, not just this gathering and not just this gathering and not just that one. I'm going to illustrate this with an image. Haley, if you put that up. So in this image, I just try to take this practice of gathering. On Sundays, to illustrate how this works, on Sundays we gather together around a communion table. And it's a beautiful moment for us to come together to open up a space of God's presence. We're going to practice repentance and practice reconciliation. We're going to hear from one another and try to listen to one another and try to attune to one another and be present. That's why we always, I mean, not now, but that's why we have normally had it here, so that when you came to the table, there was humans with you. So people were present to you. But this moment on Sunday is just a small fraction of your life. Just a little bit of you get here and lived here. And so it can't stay there. The practice of gathering has to move from this space to your home. Where together with your friends and your family and your housemates and your neighbors, you again open up spaces of presence around the table in your home. It is just as holy as this moment. Because you're actually doing the same thing. It's the practice and the presence of God on the move. From this space to your home, and then extended even further into cafes and restaurants, your workplace, your neighborhood other people's homes, where the people of God go and open up spaces of presence so that they might also know what is holy. To be the church means to be the people of God's presence who join God out in the world and extend what God is doing there, who open up spaces of God's presence everywhere. See, the beautiful thing about this, I think, this is just about what it looks like to be a human, like to live your normal life. It's not adding like an additional program onto ourselves or being like, I need to learn all these new skills. It's like, oh, no, God is at work where I am. God is at work where I am, my workplace, in my home, and I am called in the same way here and at that place and at that place to practice presence. And so instead of learning a new program, I'm actually beginning a way of life. And if you'll notice, it doesn't take a lot of people or a lot of money. In fact, I actually think that the more people we add into the space, sometimes the more difficult it gets. Which is so counterintuitive, I think, often to the way we think about church or programs or ministry or being successful. Not that more people are bad, but you can see where it gets more complicated. Not easier. Jesus began with just a few disciples. The church begins with just a few. Israel begins weak and insignificant. That's actually what God says about them. Jesus, when he actually wants to send his disciples on mission, he sends them in twos. Can't go alone, but it doesn't take a lot. And we're even learning, I was having this conversation with Heather earlier this week, we're even learning from social science that there's actually just a limit to how many people you can be truly present with. 
The larger the group, the less you're able to give to the more amount of people. And so the smaller the amount of people you are working to be present to and with, the more they receive. It does not take a lot of people or a lot of money to live present and to open up spaces with presence. And that is exactly what the church is called to. Not to be a people who are always trying to figure out how do we raise more money or how do we get more people, but instead to be a, a community who know that they are filled with God's presence, meeting God's presence. We're like, how do we join with what God is doing in this space? How do we join what God is doing here and around us? Don't mean to be critical of big money. Just think the church has tried it for a long time. I don't know that got us anywhere. And the truth is, in COVID, can't really do it anyways. So there's this like opportunity that God is curating in the midst of us to try a different, older thing of church, to re-embed these things that we do together back into everyday life and the trust that God is at work in the midst of us, making all things new. So Missio, what if we took that seriously? What if we left this place and took seriously the promise that God is with us and filling us and calling us to join him wherever we are? What if we took that notion seriously? What might be possible in our homes, in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and even in this city? What might be possible? So, miss you. Hold that question in your head, but we're going to ask a few more, and then we'll wrap up. As you think about, like, what is possible as we press into what it is that God is inviting us into right now, then just let's close on these final questions of reflection. First, this. We looked at two assumptions that we bring with us that kind of that stop us from maybe engaging in the thing that God is doing. But what assumptions do you bring? What doubts or obstacles or questions you bring that stop you from seeing that God wants to move in and through and around you? You don't need more degrees. You don't need more expertise. You don't need more professionalism. Whatever it is that God is wanting and ready and calling you now. What assumptions do you bring? Second, where is God already moving around you? Like, where have you already been doing some of these practices without ever naming them anything? And God is already opening something up that's unique and beautiful in the midst of your life. I guarantee that if you invited your community in to ask that question about yourself, they would be able to name it. They'd be like, oh, look at these dinners that you hold. Or look at the way you serve your neighbors. Or look at the kind of spaces that you're creating at work. And as those things got named, well, it would... I think create an invitation for you to press in even further and maybe ask someone to join you. That leads to the third question, which is, who are you with? I think I spent a lot of my, especially like early ministry career, always hoping for another group of people to be like joining me. Not the ones I had weren't great. But like there's more. Like it was just like, oh, this would be easier if there was just more people. It would just be better if there was more people and if they had all these resources. And the truth is, they're not coming and they don't exist. 
So who are you with right now? Who has surrounded you? Who is in this room with you? Who is at your job? And you're like, oh, that's an annoying Christian. Hey. Who's in your house church and in your neighborhood? Who has God put with you now? And then finally, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? We practice all of these things every time we gather at the table together, here in this space. And you'll see that somewhere near you are little communion packets, not able to be at the table in the same way. And so these are for COVID safety. If you need gluten-free ones, there's some right back at the sound booth. But we can still together in this way take communion and practice this thing that God is talking about, where we get up a space of his presence, attuned doing and attuned to what is happening around us. So full of practice as we leave here. So Miss I'm gonna pray and then the band will come up. We just invite you to take communion as that happens. Let me pray. God thank you that you're present in this space. And you've given us everything that we need to open up spaces where we can be present to you and others can be present to you through us. So today, help us believe that and trust that. And as we practice it right here and right now, would it send us, keep us on the move so that we'd practice it tomorrow in our home and in our workplaces, that it does not stop here. Thank you, God, that you are over all things and yet with us uniquely. In your name we pray. Amen. So we invite you to keep worshiping.